Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Good evening. Happy Saturday and welcome to All the Things. I'm Monique Dusan. And I'm Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And this is the show where we discuss all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. Yay! Yay! We did it. Happy Saturday to everyone. And we want to say thank you to everyone helping us do the show tonight. Especially the one and only Bob Bontrager. <laughs> Oh, boy, what a season we are in. And we are live. Want to invite you to join the conversation. Uh, The easiest place to do that is over on YouTube. Uh, You can join us there. We want to say hey to um, everyone. Our moderators tonight are Alicia Moss and Laura Hartley. Yay, and we see the family tuning in. Looks good. We also see him tuning in on Facebook. Yes. Hello. Hello. Hey, Joey. Yes. All right. So this is going to be your opportunity. This is the audience participation part of the show where you can share the show, like the show, comment on the show. All of these things help uh, to push the show out, forces the bots to tell people about the show. Yes. Share the show with a friend. Share the show with an enemy. (laughs) You know, if you ever want to get somebody, (laughs) share something they disagree with. That's right. Hey, you know, I'm just saying. Now, the show is brought to you by Family 210 Clothing, Theology Mom, and the Center for Biblical Unity. And I believe we have a shirt design this week. This is uh, one Monique modeled in. (laughs) There it is. Truth has no color. Yes, we... One of your favorite sayings. It is. It it really is. The fact that, you know, objective truth doesn't, is not, is not, um, you know, burdened by, by ethnicity or skin color or any of those things. So truth has no color. My other favorite shirt is speak truth to error. Too many times we are wanting to speak truth to power, but it's like, you know, not all power is wicked power. So we can speak truth to error. And know that we do so because we have the word of God. That's right. So go to Family 210 Clothing or Family210.com. I'm sorry. And $10 of every sale approximately goes to help support our family and support the ministry. And lots of designs for you to choose from there. All right. So what's been happening with you? Gosh, I have been writing and as yes. you, yes, we have a ton of things coming up, oh. which is awesome, but it's, it's taken a lot of very busy lot of work. fall schedule. Yeah. And you have a new blog post coming out on Monday. Yes, I do. I'm really excited about it. Thank you to just our lovely, amazing, awesome editor, Nina, Yeah, who is able to edit and Make sure that I don't sound crazy. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about about this blog coming out, looking at how do we have conversation, tough conversations about race, justice, how to and stay unity. in it. Yeah. yeah. So how do we do that? Watch for that on Monday. Make sure to share it and all that kind of thing. All right. So, yeah, we have a busy fall. Yeah, speaking say, what's schedule. going on with you? Yeah, so much. Um, just 
really, I've been in the middle of doing this series on justice. We're writing a brand new talk for the UP conference. Yes. I'm writing two talks. Yeah. Three talks, actually, for UP conference. Yeah, so a lot of new content. Lots of new content coming out. Um, And you did the Ali Beth Stuckey show this week. Did Ali Beth Stuckey, yes. Yes, yes. And I just, I appreciate her voice and... Um, we had a really good conversation about reconciled and how does the church do reconciliation? What's the biblical way to do it? So fantastic of her to give you a chance to be on her platform, talk about the reconciled curriculum, helping us get that word out because the censorship from big tech that we have been facing has been formidable. So we need um, all of our people, our family members you know, to, to be out there sharing and, and talking to people about what we're up to. Yeah. So, so super grateful for the opportunity. So while we're on the subject of the UP conference. Yes. Let's up conference. All right. So you and I are going to be doing on Friday where you and I are going to basically be doing the whole time. And it's going to be a few hours of walking people through a model that we have been developing on how to exegete your community mm-hmm. um, and really walking people through the nuts and bolts. I call it like the intersection of where the Bible and social service meet. You know, I'm going to be bringing kind of the biblical principles of how do we help the poor and not harm them. You're going to be bringing your experience in, in social service from what you've seen and how to help people. Maybe tell talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, well, the talk is called Exegete Your Community. How do you exegete your community? How do you look into your community and find out what is really happening or um, where biblical issues of injustice are happening? And how can you or your faith community, your group of friends, speak into the needs of a particular community? And so we're going to look at the biblical principles for that and then also looking at the practical tools of how to do this. What are the questions that we should be asking, how do I dig into a community? What online resources are there? You know, it's one thing to have online resources, but if I put all my hope and faith in online resources and never go out into the community or into a community and get to know the people, then I'm still disconnected from the people and from the work that God may be calling me to do. So we're going to look at how do we realistically do this, not, you know, putting all the burden on one person, not taking on more than what we can handle, but how do I find out what are the needs within a community? And there are tons of needs because we are human and people fall short on all manner of issues. And, you know, can you support in all manner of issues? So how do we do this realistically and in a way that honors God? And um, I think this, this conversation We'll prep people very well for Katrina Elias's conversation on how do we um, empower versus enable and my breakout conversation, looking at what are some of the practical steps if you want to start a ministry focused on justice related issues. Yeah, I think what's I'm really excited about in bringing this talk is, and first of all, this is like completely new content that we really haven't, we've done some field testing with it in closed door events but you know this will really be like our first kind of public presentation of this idea but last year what we saw with the whole aftermath of the blm situation and george floyd there was this big outcry for justice 
But what you and I recognized very quickly is that many Christians, and in particular, many Christian pastors, had not been properly equipped on what does the Bible actually say about justice Mm -hmm. and how that works out, you know, in the life of a local church. And so pastors were, were struggling. You know, I, I want to be a stand for justice. I see that this is a biblical idea. I see that God has called us to be a stand for justice, but how do we do that? Yeah. And so this is really answering that big, how do I question. start another food pantry? Yeah. Do I, what do I do? Another backpack ministry. Yeah. yeah. And those are needed. Yeah. But there's also many other areas within communities that the church could speak into. And in my personal opinion, this is my personal opinion, should speak into. I think that we actually, and I might be crazy for believing this, but I do believe that we have the answer for what people need for life and godliness. We have um, strategically been given a way forward to live lives that are productive and that will help um, for familial growth. And yeah. so with that, I think that the church and Christians should be leading some of these conversations in communities that are really struggling or in communities that may be affluent, but are struggling in other ways and need extra support there too. You know, we don't want to set up this dichotomy where it's like, um, you know, only communities that struggle financially have issues. No, there are tons of things that can be spoken into and tons of issues in affluent communities as well. But how do I recognize those things? That's the question I'm going to be answering. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. So go check out all the details. Centerforbiblicalunity.com slash up 2021 and get signed up. Make a watch party. Invite your friends or as you would say, invite your enemies. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for offending the enemy. That's wrong. Pray for my heart, y'all. <laughs> all right. Tonight, we're going to be talking to our friend David Schmoose and um, his ministry and his involvement at the, the Christian Educators Association International. What I love about David's ministry, David and I went to seminary together many, y'all many, go way back. many years ago. We were it's like the pacifier days. Yeah. We way were, back. We were acquaintances in, in seminary and uh, recently reconnected and um, looking forward to hearing about his ministry, but really helping to be uh, coming alongside Christians who are working in public education. Mm-hmm. It's a tough field right now. A lot of changes are happening. We get a lot of letters um, from Christians working in the public school sector. What do I do? How do I deal with the equity trainings coming in? Oh, cause they come in. Yeah. How can I, I'm being forced to sign an allyship statement or post one in my classroom. What do I do? So David is coming on to tell us about what they are up to. Yes. Now, a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, he actually spoke to our Facebook educators group. And that was an awesome time. And um, then I just recently last week, I think it was last week, maybe week before, um, recorded a talk for or an interview for his conference that's coming up. So, yeah, yeah, appreciate his work with educators. All right. Let's bring David on. Hello, Hello there. So good to be with you. Good to be with you too. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Now, yeah, go ahead. It was just so fun to meet you at the uh, what was that the uh, what airport was that? Um, we we kind of had a little divine appointment. Where were we City. flying out of? I think we were in Nashville. Nashville right? 
Yeah, I think we were at the Nashville airport and you're wearing a mask and I'm wearing a mask and I'm thinking like I can only see you from this much up. And I'm like, boy, that looks like a guy I went to seminary with. And so then I was stalking you on Twitter and I'm kind of like looking at your picture while we're sitting there in the airport. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go ask him, are you David Schmoose? You probably thought I was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. When you said my name, like so perfectly, because a lot of people mispronounce it, of course, when you said it, I was like, I I was dumbfounded. I was like, oh my God, this person (laughs) knows me. And uh, you know, I I hadn't quite clicked in yet. And as soon as you started talking, I was like, oh yeah. I took my face, my my little mask down. And so we were on a a flight back to Orange County on the same flight and you were with your family Mm -hmm. and stuff. So it was just such providence because I had actually been thinking about trying to reach out to your organization, not knowing Mm. that you were the executive director. So it was just like the Lord just put you in that place for me. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So you were so excited. I just kept thinking, we're going to miss our flight if you don't stop talking. (laughs) Let's go. Get on the plane. Let's go. Time to go. (laughs) What's funny is we were already reaching out to Monique to speak it rise up. When that was when that was in process, but it wasn't me that was doing it. It was one of our partners, and so uh, it was just so funny. I knew that was going on, but I wasn't personally involved in it. So it was just so funny to to have that little divine appointment come. Yeah, up it was so perfect. So maybe we should start off by talking about um, what's happening in public education and what you have been noticing in your conversations with teachers working in public schools and kind of what are some of the shifts that you guys have seen in the last, let's say three to five years that are, that teachers are coming to you guys and saying, Hey, we need some help and support. Sure. Well, we are a a membership organization. And so we get calls primarily from our members, uh, but also from other teachers that uh, just need additional support as well. And, you know, three to five years ago, I would say most of the calls that came in on a daily basis were really things that were specific to that teacher. Uh, maybe they had a discipline issue that that went a little awry and they needed some support. Maybe they were being accused of something. Maybe they had a question about how to handle a, an IEP or, or some kind of curriculum issue. Um, you know, those kinds of questions. But in the last three to five years, that has dramatically shifted. And now I would say the vast majority of our calls are about about four things. Uh, and, and almost, <laughs> there, there's so few calls that are not about these four things that it, it's, it's kind of remarkable. Uh, one is the transgender issue. Uh, two is sex ed, three is CRT, and then four is COVID. And if you take those four things, uh, that is almost all we do now in terms of fielding calls from our members. Um, and so the the schools are becoming, in many of those cases, a much more hostile place uh, for Christians to thrive and teach in and survive. Uh, and so we are really working hard to equip our teachers uh, with some tools and some methods and some you know uh, mindsets uh, to how to not just survive, but thrive in, in the public schools. Because I believe it can be done, and we're going to be talking about that as we go. But uh, but yeah, those issues are, are just becoming huge for us um, as Christian teachers in our public schools. Now, when we look at, you know, all of the issues, I, I tend to say that teachers are definitely on the front lines of a lot of these conversations regarding DEI, CRT, and things like that. And DEI and is diversity. diversity, equity, and inclusion. Thank right. you very much. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I talk about it so much. I just tend yeah. to think that, hey, everybody knows what CRT and DEI are. <laughs> yeah. I can just name off any kind of letters, you know, the, the NTR. <laughs> I just made that up, y'all. Right. It's not really a thing. Um, 
tell us a little bit more about your organization and what you do to actually come alongside and support teachers because it's super important. Yeah. So what we do is we provide uh, similar services to teachers that they're used to getting from their unions. And this is a very key thing because uh, so many Christians belong to unions. It's for many people, it's sort of like what you do when you become a teacher, you, you, uh, you know, sign your contract and you join the union. Right. And often, oftentimes they're told it's a requirement or, or they're pressured into it. Uh, but as of 2018 in a, in a Supreme court case called the Janus case, uh, it is no longer com- uh, required anywhere in the country to either join a union or give money to a union. And so, uh, but teachers are, are oftentimes uh, needing that kind of support. They need, you know, liability insurance. They need uh, support in case, the, in case there's a job action against them. And so we provide those things for teachers from a biblical worldview for a much lower cost than the unions do. And we don't get involved in politics. So, so the great thing is that not only can teachers defund the left, right, because so much of this money that um, they are paying in union dues, in some cases over $1,000 a year in union dues, so much of this money uh, goes to support these, these programs like CRT and DEI and, you know, the, the NEA just passed the National Education Association, the largest teachers union at their recent uh, convention this summer, passed a resolution essentially authorizing teachers' union dues uh, to pay for opposition research against any groups that uh, oppose critical race theory. They specifically mentioned, for example, the Heritage Foundation by name. Uh, And so if you're a teacher in a public school and you're in a union, (laughs) your money is funding opposition research against people who oppose CRT. Hopefully there weren't too many negatives in that statement for you to follow me. But, um, but nonetheless, so if you, if you quit a union, you, you, then you deny those, those hundreds of dollars every year uh, to fund those things. And you also get support from the biblical worldview for a fraction of the cost from what we do. And then um, the second thing we do, so that's kind of one thing we do, we're a professional association that's an alternative to unions. Uh, the other thing we do is we provide equipping and encouraging uh, for teachers to walk out their uh, their calling as a public school educator, as, as a missionary in a mission field. You know, I believe the public schools are the most strategic mission field uh, in our nation, which is where a new generation is being raised. And as much as I love to see things like homeschooling and private schooling and even charter schooling uh, come up, uh, still about 85% of our students are being educated in public schools. So uh, if we are not... If we're, oh, sorry, go ahead. So if, we're, if we abandon the public schools, as I some some of the church are want to do, uh, we will lose a generation of students. Uh, we may be already doing that, but but uh, nonetheless, there are there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of courageous Christians in our public schools who are working to stem the tide and and be be salt and light. And so we're in, we have various ministry initiatives we're doing to uh, encourage and equip those teachers to to do, walk out their faith legally. Wow. And I, I'm floored that, you know, it would go to fund initiatives that are, you know, in support of critical race theory or, you know, that basically go against the Christian worldview. So here I am paying my dues if I'm a teacher and yet my dues are going to support the 1619 project. That could be right. that. that. So people hmm. can redirect if they're working in public school education, they can redirect those union dues to CEAI as an alternative and get kind of some support and even like, do they get legal protection? Like how does that work exactly? Yeah. So we have, we offer uh, unlimited uh, professional educational and legal consultation for our members. 
So anytime they need uh, support for really anything on campus, you know, some people think that we only provide support for religious uh, religious issues, like if they got in trouble for praying for a student or sharing their faith or something like that. No, we actually provide support for the whole gamut of educational issues that teachers may come across. And so uh, we're a full service uh, professional association. Um, and uh, so we have members in all 50 states uh, and uh, we're only about 239 a year uh, in terms of our dues, whereas most unions are between 600 to 1100 a year, depending on the state you live in. Uh, so it's anywhere from say a third to one fifth of the cost in some cases Very for good. teachers to belong to us. And yeah, they're not supporting all those causes. You know, I did a research a few years back about um, union money ending up in the hands of Planned Parenthood and, and you know, it continues to go on. Uh, and of course we can go on and on and on about where that union money goes. But uh, you know, for me as a teacher, uh, as a former teacher, I came to the point where I just said, no, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't in good conscience uh, have my hundreds of dollars every year going to support these causes that I just can't reconcile with my faith. And so I had to get out when I was a teacher. Um, but now with the Janus case, it's so much easier than when I was a teacher. Now, you're, you've alluded to and mentioned the fact that you were a teacher. Were, were you a teacher in public education sector? Mm-hmm. Like, what's your background in yeah, public education? I, I taught 15 years in, a, in a, a fairly large public high school in Southern California. I taught AP U.S. History and Government. Um, and for several of those years, I was a union member. Um, I, as I said, I, I got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore. And I got out and I joined CAI. Uh, while I was there, you know, we had mentioned that... Um, Krista mentioned we went to seminary together. So I came out of seminary into the public schools. So I had a sort of a missional mindset, you know, from the beginning, because, uh, you know, I had been preparing for ministry. uh, And then God said, you know, toward the end of that experience, hey, I think I think your mission field, your pulpit is the public schools, if you will. And so that's where I was called to. So I, I for 15 years, I advised a Christian club. Uh, I did lots of lots of ministry on campus. Uh, you know, there's, of course, legal limits about that. We have some training about that on our website, what you can and can't do. Uh, but uh, within the confines of the law, I, I did an extraordinary amount of ministry on that campus. I uh, had t- t- tremendous connection with students. And I just want to say that, you know, many people are afraid of what happens in the public schools. But, you know, they're largely made up of hurting, broken kids who need fathers and mothers who care about them. I mean, I mean, fathers and mothers in a spiritual sense, of course, that that, you know, as teachers, we can go in there and be those mentors and and encouragers um, that they so desperately need. And they're so broken. And of course, <laughs> now they're getting so confused by our by our culture. They need people of substance. They need people of faith. They need people uh, who, who know, know uh, uh, you know, the right from wrong and the right, right from their left, as, as it says in, in, the, in the book of uh, Jonah, uh, you know, and, and to, to be uh, an example of people who, who aren't just tossed by the winds of culture. And so one of the things we try to do at CEI is really encourage churches uh, to cast the public schools as a mission field, to send adults into the mission field of the public schools uh, to be that, be that salt and light and be that, that influence. So uh, I loved it. I, I, you know, I would go back to public school teaching, uh, but God, you know, after 15 years, God kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, Dave, this is what I have for you next. And so here I am uh, leading CEI. Uh, But I got to say, I I love teaching in the public schools. I love how you're framing it as a mission field. I think that really resonates with thoughts I've had as well. Like, some people may have gone into teaching because of the love of teaching, which is great. But in order to, I think at this point, stay in it, you're really going to have to kind of have a mindset of I'm here to influence these young people. I need to be solid in my faith 
so that I can be a true missionary in this very difficult context. And, um, you know, we've had many teachers who have signed up for our book club, signed up for our classes that are trying to, to equip themselves so that they can be those influential voices and be informed. So I love that, that word picture that you're drawing for us Mm -hmm. of having that missionary mindset. That's so vital. Yeah. You know, Christy, you said something very wise there. I used to tell my students that I started teaching because I love my subject. I continue teaching because I love my students. Mm. And, uh, and so what I encourage people to really, you know, ask, ask God to give you that, that love for your students and he will. And he, he poured that out in spades throughout my, my, my career. And that's really what sustains uh, the, the teacher long-term. And you're absolutely right about that. Amen. Um, you know, I think, or at least I make up that being in public education for 15 years, you would have seen a lot of what we see now, things like diversity, equity, and inclusion, this conversation of critical race theory, the conversation of many of the critical social theories, you would have seen those things in it's like seedling state. And Mm -hmm. one of the questions that I'm wondering about is how did you see, or did you see um, like educational equity or equity trainings even at their their seedling state and also if you could explain to us what is educational equity um mm-hmm. and this conversation of equity that many teachers are facing sure yeah i did begin to see some of that i left teaching in 2015 but even before that i saw some of that coming in um you know some i saw it in really two ways I taught history. So one of the ways I saw it coming in was through Howard Zinn's uh, um, People's History of the United States. Uh, I didn't use it as a textbook, but it was becoming back then even a uh, very much a, a common supplemental source for teachers, of, especially of APUS history. And I can see that well, we've had people write into the ministry about that book. Mm-hmm. So is yeah. that a is that a popular textbook oh, and yeah. uh, program? It's tremendously popular. Uh, you know, Howard Zinn is an admitted socialist. And he, uh, he's passed away now, but, but his goal uh, was to really tell history uh, from the perspective of the oppressed. And of course, you know, we know uh, with our center, a biblical understanding, that's not always, there's not always something wrong with that. Uh, we, want, we want all of history to be understood, right? We want an accurate portrayal of history. And sometimes that does mean looking at things in the eyes of the oppressed. But, but his lens was so exclusive uh, that it really was to demonize the United States. And, you know, I always said, well, you know, what makes uh, what makes America special is not that we had slavery. Every culture has had slavery. Right. What, what makes America special is we fought a war to end it. OK, but but that that failure to understand the exceptionalism of, of what made America special was not the sins of America, but but the redemptive things about America. And, and of course, Zen, that's nowhere to be found in Zen. Right. Uh, Zen's history is all about demonizing America and how America um, you know, hurt all these different groups. And of course, it puts everyone in groups, right, and treats us in, as individuals. And I saw the sort of some of the early seeds of that certainly coming into my profession in a, when I would go to, say, professional developments or uh, additional trainings. But even in some of my students were starting to pick up some of this stuff, even though I wasn't assigning it to them. I started to see some of my students coming in with that mindset and asking certain questions. And so I was starting to deal with it then. Um, the other way I, I saw it coming in was, as Monique mentioned, was that, that word equity. And uh, equity was explained to me uh, when I was, before I left teaching, was treating people with the understanding, treating students with the understanding that not all people come from the same starting point. And, you know, it was, it was, you know, 
kind of understandable back then. It was like, okay, I can, yeah, I can have additional sympathy for a kid or different, provided uh, additional support for a kid who may come from a disadvantaged background. I, I think, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that, right? I think that's, that's what we do as compassionate people. Um, but now, of course, what equity means uh, more and more is that, hey, we've got to find a way to get everyone to the same finish line. And uh, when, you, when you say uh, getting everyone to the same finish line, that brings a whole lot of uh, additional things that have to happen and really have to kind of bring down the, the achievers, right, to, to, to raise up the non-achievers, if you will. Um, you know, we, we published a, a study in our magazine, Teachers of Vision magazine, a few years ago from a scholar named William Jaynes. Uh, who's, who's someone that I, I would love to introduce you to if you're not always familiar with William James, that's J-E-Y-N-E-S. He wrote an article saying that the achievement gap in education completely disappears. Uh, you know, we, when I say achievement gap, I mean, historically speaking, there's just been an achievement gap between different racial groups, right, in their, in their school achievement. He said it completely disappears when you factor out things like um, two-parent families and serious commitment to faith. So if you look at just kids of two-parent families, and kids who have a serious commitment to faith or families that do, uh, the achievement gap completely disappears. And he shows that in our, in our research we publish in our magazine. And so, you know, wow, I'd love to spend more time talking about those kinds of things, right? Well, but, and I think um, that that's really an important point. I want to, like, exp- make sure that it doesn't blow by people mm-hmm. too quickly. We just recently did a training at a Christian school um, that is kind of trying to explain equity trainings in in the educational Mm -hmm. context and, you know, how do we think about this from a Christian point of view? And I think that what people need to understand is that how educational equity is often couched is strictly within the framework of race. Mm -hmm. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's add up all these numbers and look at achievement gaps in terms of race. Oh, Mm -hmm. we see that, Black and brown students are performing at this level in math and and reading and language skills. White students, Asian students are at a different level. Therefore, this disparity must be due to racism. Now, Mm -hmm. there's a thoughtful way of going about that discussion where, yeah, we could have that conversation. We could ask more penetrating questions. What's happening here? Is this about neighborhoods? Is, you know, that kind of thing. Is it about Mm -hmm. funding? But then the question is, is what other factors are there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. that is the conversation that we think is not happening enough. Well, I think that right. it's it's because so many people now borrow from Kindy and Kindy has has moved into being the the end all be all in this conversation. And according to Kindy, any inequity is an injustice. And so if there's an inequity in reading among black and white or brown and white, then there must be an injustice. And that doesn't necessarily answer very important, necessary questions. We can't just look at the data and say, well, the data says there's an inequity. So the data right. means that there's an injustice. No, the, the data, it could be the data, but we need to go in and really do some research to understand the data in a deeper level. And I think that Absolutely. this is also another thing I want to make sure doesn't blow by people is what we're really talking about is outcomes. Mm-hmm. So right. how do we, like all of us are in favor of, I think we can agree quickly of like, hey, if there's a reasonable obstacle that can be removed for a child to help mm-hmm. increase their performance, great, let's let's talk about that. But to get to a point where all racial groups are performing the same 
I'm not sure that's the right outcome to look at. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. No, yeah, I, I agree completely. Uh, these are these are complex causal features, right? And race may play a role in in some things, but that certainly isn't isn't the be all end all. And I would argue, I many times it's not even the number one explanatory factor. I think, as the data has shown, fatherlessness is a far bigger explanatory factor for outcomes than than is race. Uh, and yet, this this modern, you know, this modern CRT driven agenda says no. It's all about race. Everything's about race. Every human act, every human act interaction comes down to being about, fundamentally about race. And that's such a narrow uh, way to look at things, and uh, really going to sell our students short. But I also think that there's this this misconception that we're being sold that even if everything were equal we would get the same results student to student that we would actually have these equal outcomes. And I just don't right. think so. I think that individuals are individuals and I might just suck at science and there's right. nothing that I can do about that because my brain just isn't yes. wired that way. And so yes. even with everything being equal, um, you know, I don't know that we're going to get the same results. And it, right, people are right. complicated and mm-hmm. factors are yep. complex into what mm-hmm. goes into making a successful student. There's a great comment on YouTube says people in general minimize complex systems into a single factor. In this case, we're talking about race. No nuance. Complex systems are complex because they are dependent on many factors simultaneously. I would also add to that people are complex. Mm-hmm. People yep. are not mathematical formulas uh, yep. where you, well, you do these steps and then out comes a successful student. Like it's way more complicated than that. Yeah. And I would even argue that sometimes our definition of success is, 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 is going to vary tremendously. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, with the way that, with the way that education's going, I don't really want my kids to go to an Ivy league school. Honestly, I don't think they're getting a good education there. Uh, and, and as we've seen, you know, people have pointed out that, hey, especially for, for, for young men, many of them are much better served by going into trades, right? And, and they have much more successful lives, you know, dependent, defined in certain ways. Yeah. Um, but some people say, well, wait, having a, having a family that loves me, that's together, that's, that's intimate is, is a huge definition of success that sometimes runs counter to the way others define success. So even, even the very definition of how we compare I think uh, often uh, breaks down in, in many ways. That's so good. And I, my views on that have changed remarkably in the last two years. I've mm-hmm. always been like a go to college so you can better your life. And there is some data to say that, especially if you have a, a college degree when you're in about your mid thirties, that can, mm-hmm. that can really push up your income level. Mm-hmm. And that's really when the college education might pay off, but there's also trade-offs to that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes Trade school might be a better option, and you know there's other factors to to consider. That's for sure. Um, as you're thinking about um, reaching Christians who work in public education, I know that I, I I realized recently, David, there's a whole genre of videos on YouTube of teachers talking about why they quit, hmm. and <laughs> there's a ton of these videos where they're saying I left and here's why. And I'm, I'm, we get a lot of, I'm just going to be honest. Like we get a lot of mail at the ministry from former public school educators. They're like, I couldn't take it anymore. And they've left. Do you Mm -hmm. have a sense as to 
you know, where Christians are at, how many are still left in public education. Mm -hmm. You know, we're seeing some viral videos recently of like socialists coming into public school education with intention to radicalize or indoctrinate students. So I'm wondering, you know, what, if you have any sense of how many Christians are left in the profession? (laughs) Well, this data is a a few years old, so it may not capture what you're talking about there. But um, George Barna uh, said a few years back that uh, half of all public school teachers go to church at least once a month. Or it was just just short of half. It was 48, 49%, something like that. And uh, now, you know, going, to church, to, going church, to church once a month may not sound all that exciting uh, for some of us. But nonetheless, um, that suggests there's maybe not a very deep, but a very broad uh, application of Christians in the public schools. Um, what, and in terms of are they, are they leaving in droves uh, right now, we're seeing some evidence that, that some are leaving. We're, we get calls in to, from our members, and some of them face some of these issues, and they say, you know, I'm, I'm a year away from retirement. I'm two years away from retirement. Maybe it's time for me to hang it up. And we're, we are seeing some of that. I don't have any, any good raw data in terms of uh, how, how you know, broad that is. But, you know, to me, that, that's a shame. Uh, I, I don't know what it is about me and, and, and this, this issue. You know, we talk about our, our soldiers, and then we say, wow, soldiers are trained to run to the bullets rather than run away from them. And <laughs> not that I'm looking for trouble, but man, as a public school teacher, that's where I wanted to be. I, I wanted to be in a place where kids' minds were getting twisted so I could help untwist them, mm-hmm. right? And I could be the opposite influence. And so uh, we are looking to raise up uh, men and women of character, uh, of godliness, of, of people who are led by the Spirit, who are trained in biblical worldview, uh, to go into the schools and to say, hey, look, we can be uh, a tremendous influence. I mean, these schools often are, are forced to implement these programs, but they, they're doing it half-heartedly because they kind of know in their gut uh, that there's something deeply wrong with it. Uh, and so uh, often if you're a teacher in a classroom and you just simply, you know, kind of lay that curriculum aside, just kind of don't get to it, you know, idea <laughs> that kind of along the idea of that the state makes me do lots of things, right? I can't get to them all. Uh, and so maybe that's one we just don't get to this year, you know, or, or we put our own spin on it or we bring in outside sources as we, as our academic freedom allows us to do. And so, um, you know, there are, there are just so many teachers who are standing in the gap for kids in our public schools. Man, it breaks my heart to think that, that they are leaving over these issues. Uh, I, I, I would hope that this would raise up kind of a cry in the hearts of our nation to say, no, I'm going to go into the public schools because of this. Uh, I'm going to see this as my mission field. You know, we think about uh, people in the Bible like Daniel and Esther, uh, who are who are placed in their positions for such a time as this, right? Who who were government officials in in secular or pagan systems, uh, and and probably had to do things that they weren't real happy about doing uh, in many cases. But God used them in key moments to shift the culture of the entire nation. And uh, I just think, man, there's an army of public school teachers. Uh, in our in our schools that are just kind of waiting to get woken up. In fact, one of the ministry initiatives we're we're um, we're, we're doing right now is called Awake. A little bit little bit contrast to woke, um, but that's not really the point of it. The point of it is we're we're waking up teachers uh, to their calling as 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 missionaries to see who God really is and who they really are, their authority in Christ. And, um, and then what really their mission is to be ambassadors, according to 2 Corinthians 5. And so um, we are seeing a tremendous response from these awake days we're doing around the country. And uh, we're kind of trying to raise up that army. Um, you know, uh, when, I, when I went into this ministry back in 2015, I, I was asking the Lord because I was like, Lord, I, I love teaching. I'm having a tremendous amount of impact, I feel, in my school. 
why, why would I leave that to go do this ministry with Christian Educators Association? And, and um, the, I felt the Lord said to me, and it wasn't an audible voice, but it was something I, I, I very strongly felt in my spirit. He said, Dave, my army is already in the schools. Your job is to wake them up. And uh, I think that's what we've got to do. You know, this, this half of all public school teachers who have a bit of you know, Christian identity uh, need to be woken up to realize this is a sacred and holy calling. And if they don't wake up, um, I think we're, we are in deep trouble. Well, I'm feeling inspired. Yes. I, I, you know what? Yes. If you've never been to black church, I'm going to go ahead and fan you because that's what we do. <laughs> that word is fire. Yes. That, that is so inspiring because I have, I'm just going to be honest. Like I have felt so discouraged in all the letters that we've gotten over the last year and a half from people working in public education. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I got nothing. I don't know what to say. And now I feel like, oh, now I have some words. Like David's in, inspiring me. Uh, like, here's a vision. Here's a framework. Here's how we can yeah. we can um, yeah. talk about it. And like, I just learned a ton. Like, we're gonna have to make that a clip. Like, mm-hmm. that was that's good. That was that was that was good and very very helpful. And, and I don't I don't also want to treat it lightly. There there will be casualties, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm thinking about you know Peter Vlaming. This wasn't about CRT, but this was about the transgender issue. Peter Vlaming in a Virginia school a few years ago who was fired because he used the wrong pronoun, right? And he's still fired. Uh, his case is going through the courts, but honestly, it doesn't look real good uh, at the moment. And so there will be casualties. But, you know, part of the issue is we, I think as American Christians, so often see our job as sort of the BL end all, our financial security as the BL end all. And we don't trust the Lord, uh, you know, to seek first the kingdom and let him add all these things unto us, right? And so when we put our job in the proper place, simply our, our assignment at the time for what God, where God has us, and if he wants to change that assignment, he can, right? I think that gives us much more, much greater faith because we realize, okay, if I get fired, I get fired. God will have a new assignment for me. Uh, but he promises that if I seek first his kingdom, that he will add the other stuff. He'll take care of me, like the, like the lilies in the field and, and the, the birds of the air, right? And so uh, part of it is sort of increasing our level of faith to say, hey, okay, if I lose my job, that's okay, because God is bigger than that. Yes. Come on through, David. Yes. Now, here's a question, though. Um, as missionaries in the public school field, you know, we I, I see teachers taking hits left and right. And I, I do have a more fighter mentality. So here's my, my, my analogy would be. Monique's well, been suspended from school 10 times. She's ready for a fight. You, why, <laughs> why you not? That ain't public knowledge. Pardon her. Pardon her, family. You ain't telling my business. Oh, sorry. Okay. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, so I might have been suspended, a, a, you know, a time or two for fights. Um, I grew up in, in, you know, it was it was a, a special situation. But anyway, back to the question at hand, um, you know, it, teachers are taking knocks left and right. What is your advice or do you see any way for a teacher to swing back on some of these like equity trainings, some of the the push for transgenderism um, and like even even things like child studies and how that's creeping in and saying, well, you can't tell a parent this, you know, how can how can a teacher push back some of these things? And and even if it's not like a firm right hook, like how do I at least hold things at bay in my classroom for like, a little while? Po- we're getting letters sure. from people like I got to post an ally statement yeah. in my classroom mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. my district is saying, 
you know, I have to comply with calling a child by their stated pronouns, but I'm not allowed to tell their parents. This feels like I'm undermining the biblical call for parental authority. Like there's some very real ethical dilemmas for teachers. Yes, there are. And, and I would say there are certain biblical lines there that some teachers, uh, I think, appropriately will not be able to cross. You know, uh, this has come up a lot for us in the transgender issue. And, you know, I've sometimes told the teacher, I've, told, I've sometimes told teachers, look, you know, on, on, the, on the name issue, a lot of Christian teachers say, okay, I can call a kid by whatever name he wants to call. That, that's sort of, they've always had nicknames, they've always had that kind of thing. Or maybe I use last names in my, in my classroom instead of first names or you know the pronoun issue is a little more dicey um but but some teachers find ways to say well maybe i won't use pronouns or maybe i'm okay with the pronoun thing because i know you know who this kid is and i want to continue to have an audience with this kid um but when it comes down to things like allowing opposite sex opposite biological sex kids into a locker room or an overnight field trip or things like that i, I would think that there are certain places that that christian teachers have to draw the line and say uh, i'm not going to do this and there is a broad, um, broad power or a right uh, to have a religious accommodation uh, for teachers. So if they put, get put in a situation, uh, whether it be with a transgender issue, whether it be with CRT, where they feel like I can't in good faith do this job you're asking me to do as a Christian, they can ask for a religious accommodation. Um, and then if the district can, can accommodate them, uh, then they, can, they, they are required to do so. However, sometimes the school can't accommodate them, or sometimes the school's accommodation is, like, for example, say with sex ed, the accommodation often is, okay, well, we'll bring in Planned Parenthood into your class to teach these students. Well, <laughs> that's, a, that's a quite a, a devil's dilemma, right? I mean, I either, I either uh, teach the curriculum myself, or I allow Planned Parenthood to teach my kids. Well, I, I couldn't, as in good conscience, allow Planned Parenthood in my classroom. So, um, you know, I would say, well, I'm going to teach it then and put my own spin on it best I can and, and kind of muddle my way through it. And we'll, you know, emphasize things I can agree with and de-emphasize things I don't and, and we'll do the best I can. But, you know, it is, it is a, a very, very challenging environment uh, for teachers right now. And so, uh, so many of those things are, are individualized. That's why we have our unlimited educational and legal consultations. So teachers can kind of call us, we can work with them and under their state laws and their district policies and, and find out what's, what's possible for them to oh, do. Oh, that's awesome. So um, people can actually call you and mm -hmm. ask for individual help, and then you can kind of help them gather some data and figure right. out what they can do. That's fantastic. Right. Yeah. 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 So if they're being if they're being asked to put something on their wall or to sign something, they can certainly call us. We can help them navigate those issues. You know, push comes to shove, a school board has a right to to determine the curriculum in their school. Uh, but what I'm encouraged by is seeing uh, teachers like like Tanner Cross in Virginia, who on his own time and and he um, you know it wasn't regarding to a specific student in his class. He on his own time as a private citizen went to the school board, made a speech about how he you know uh, couldn't support this policy to uh, you know allow kids to choose their own gender, uh, and he was a, he was put on suspension by his school. But but the initial court rulings have been in his favor because it was his free speech rights and he was on his own time. It wasn't because there was an actual kid in his class who wanted to uh, be called by a certain name or pronoun and he was refusing. So it wasn't about a school issue. It was about a public policy issue and he was simply voicing his, his opinion. And so I, I hope and suspect he will continue to win those legal cases and preserve the right, the free speech rights of teachers on their own time uh, to express their own opinions about these issues. 
Um, but the, the, the hard part is that, uh, that schools and, and school districts and state governments have the right to direct curriculum. Uh, and unlike at the university level, there was a, there was a case at, um, out of Ohio recently, uh, the name is escaping me right now, but uh, there was a case of a professor, um, um, Shawnee, Shawnee State was the name of the school, uh, professor who, who wouldn't uh, accommodate a kid's, uh, student's transgender request, and he filed a lawsuit, and he actually uh, has so far has won that lawsuit, and it's still going on, of course, but uh, and, and his victory came because higher ed professors, you know, teachers in higher ed, if you will, professors, have, are generally recognized as having much more academic freedom, much greater free speech rights than K-12 teachers. Hmm. For K-12 teachers, those rights are much more limited because you're dealing with, with minors, with, with people who are under 18. And so the, the, the courts have generally not recognized the free speech rights of K-12 teachers in their classes. But, you know, obviously now we're seeing we can use that for our advantage as well, right? Because now we're seeing some of these, these woke K-12 teachers who are getting recorded, right? And they're being fired because they're trying to bring this woke curriculum, this ideology into their, into their, um, into their classes. So that can cut both ways. And, uh, and, and I, that, so there might be some, some, um, you know, some positive, uh, you know, silver lining there for us in terms of the, uh, the free speech rights or lack thereof of K-12 educators. Are you going to ask a question? Maybe, but go ahead. Because <laughs> then go to a comment. Is that okay? Yeah, go ahead. Did you want to follow up to what no, David go said? Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry. All right. We're going to go to a comment over on Facebook that I thought was very interesting. Um, someone named Lincoln Lee. He says, um, "Hey, Shrek. It, the the Shrek guy is um his little picture. I love yeah. that." So um, he says, I'm currently retired, May 2020. Initially, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, started out well. However, I've noted that as time went by, it became more infused with critical race theory. So there could be schools that have not yet infused with critical race theory and DEI. I suspect with time, if things are not held in check, DEI will eventually be infused with CRT Ideas. I think that's a very important point because we've talked to some people, even in Christian higher ed, who said, you know, they they started noticing it coming into Christian higher ed trainings about 10 to 12 years ago. And in the beginning, it was it was like, OK, I could kind of see mm-hmm. this. I could see how this is sort of helpful. But then now it's it's ramped up into kind of being infused with mm-hmm. the critical race theory principles. Yep. And that I think is what has the era that we're living in now. Now that might vary from school to school or district to district, but you know, the degree to which that's happened, but this is what the future is. This is what's yeah, coming. Especially like when I look at it and I see the narrative tenants or I'm looking at DEI and intersectionality, um, I, I think that it is definitely, um, I, I honestly believe that diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings are meant to hold those those tenets or principles of just critical race, of theory. critical race theory. And I think that people do it very slowly. They onboard people slowly. Um, but I don't think that they were ever meant to be separated. Yeah. So what, yeah, go ahead. If you wanted to follow up on that. Yeah. I, I would just agree with Lincoln a hundred percent that, um, people say, oh, CRT isn't being taught at the K-12 level. That's sort of the, some of the mantra we're getting. Well, 
the concepts of CRT are certainly being taught through uh, diversity, equity, inclusion trainings. Uh, they're just not labeled as such. Mm -hmm. And so now that can vary, of course, by state and by district. And, um, you know, one thing that we haven't gotten to yet that I would really love to kind of jump on here is we really need groups who will uh, create DEI trainings that are, and I think it's possible uh, to do this in a way that aligns with the biblical worldview. You know, uh, I was on a call the other day with Carol Swain, um, and she is launching a training initiative uh, for public, for K-12 schools, um, uh, for DEI training that would be uh, biblically consistent. Uh, there is a group called Hardwired that I'm working with also, and Hardwired has been doing trainings for, for uh, on, on, the, on the invitation of the Iraqi government. They've been brought in to follow up ISIS into these schools and train teachers on the value of religious freedom, believe it or not. Mm. And they are, and they do it from a human rights perspective that, you know, we are all, they don't, don't they use biblical language, they totally don't, but they, you know, basically we're all created equal, right? All, all of equal value. And so uh, they are working on a curriculum, a DEI curriculum that would be biblically consistent for public schools. And so that's such a really needed encourage. thing. And I'm, I'm glad yeah. Carol Swain's doing that because she's a friend of the ministry. And, and I know that, you know, that that's great to know that she's in that space. We have developed a DEI training for Christian yes. schools mm -hmm. as an alternative, um, you know, based on Christian principles, but also helping Christian school teachers understand what DEI even is yeah. and, you know, yeah. and then helping walk them through a Christian perspective on these things. But all of yeah. these tools are needed. We all need each other. That is true. Yeah. And, and one other thing I think that we might see is we might see um, civil rights lawsuits that will be successful. I mean, because it's really easy for CRT to create a hostile work environment uh, yeah. for, you know, white Christian white males, for example, right? We're, we're the oppressors in three categories. And so um, it's very easy for these things to go overboard. In fact, there's a lawsuit out of Stanford uh, that we're watching very closely that is basically trying to establish just that, that they, um, you know, they, at Stanford, they created whiteness accountability groups and things like this. And, uh, and so uh, there's a lawsuit that says, hey, this is a violation of my civil rights. And we think with the current membership of the Supreme Court that those lawsuits uh, have real, real potential uh, to maybe, you know, kind of bring some balance to the force, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of what's being done across the country uh, with diversity, equity, inclusion. So we're very hopeful about that. That's good to hear that there's some some pushback and, you know, some advocacy in the legal realm to to try to push back on that. I'm wondering if you could sit down for coffee with a lead pastor or a group of lead pastors at a church and you could say, hey, guys, here's what you could really do to help encourage the public school teachers in your congregation. I'm wondering what that would be. What would you what would you tell those pastors? Yeah. First thing I would say to do is, man, you, you've got to say, um, you've got to say to your teachers, we see you, we understand you, we, we, we commission you as missionaries, we believe in what you're doing, we know it's important, uh, provide support for them. You know, one thing happened with Tanner Cross, who was the teacher that stood up against the transgender stuff in Loudoun County, Virginia, is uh, Tanner's church got behind him publicly. And they said, hey, he represents a biblical worldview, uh, we support him, and they rallied people to go to school board meetings and things like this. And that, that is also a huge deal. If, if teachers feel they're supported, they're not isolated alone, of course, we provide that as well. Uh, but if the local church does that, that's even more powerful. Um, 
you know, I would also encourage them. There are several initiatives they can get involved with. If churches want to bring in a wake day to their to their community, they can certainly do that. Uh, uh, we'd love to talk to them about that. If they go to ceai.org/awake, and this is a bit of a pilot program, but but it's it's pretty powerful. Even the six or seven we've done so far have been had amazing results. Um, also, we offer something called a lift uh, event. A lift event is an attempt to gather all uh, Christians teachers uh, in typically in public schools, but also we have private schools as well all Christian teachers together in a t- across an entire community or, or region for an, for an evening, a dinner, uh, 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 inspiring testimonies. And it really changes culture because the teachers kind of learn that, hey, I'm not alone. There's other teachers who are walking out their faith uh, legally and biblically, and I can do it too. And they go back to their schools really transformed and changed because now they see the possibilities. And uh, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of great uh, fruit from lift dinners. Also, one of our uh, partner ministries called Gateways to Better Education is doing something called the Free to Speak campaign. And I'd really encourage um, teachers, uh, churches out there to go to gogateways.com. Uh, I think it is gogateways.com. And it might be .org, but I think it's .com. And to check out the Free to Speak campaign, because this is an opportunity for churches to help uh, really bring about a, a revolution in their community of the rights of students and teachers in public schools to exercise their faith and to make faith sort of a focal point or the faith, exercise of faith a focal point of, of community culture. And it's really quite an innovative program. I'd really encourage people to check it out uh, as well. And so uh, something else that teachers, that some churches do is they, they, they get together all, they find all their public school teachers in their school and they say, hey, we're all gonna give you a, a free membership to Christian Educators Association. We're gonna, we're gonna cover the cost and make sure that you get the support you need uh, through CEAI. And we have several churches that do that also. So, uh, but just that power of being seen and recognized, you know, uh, we have uh, Bless Our School Sunday coming up. Uh, I think it's on the 18th, um, and uh, Bless Our School Sunday is something we're partnering with uh, Moms in Prayer. And if they just have their their teachers stand up on Bless Our School Sunday and recognize them and pray for them, uh, that that's a huge deal. Those are such great ideas, and, and I love the practicality of that. I think, you know, this reminds me of the conversation we had a few weeks ago with Abraham Hamilton, hmm. you know, about the importance of, you know, sometimes we— we, we do need to stand up. We do need yeah. to, you know, sometimes even engage in a legal conversation to protect our freedom and free exercise of our religion. And, and that, that is, that is important. Um, I'm th- thinking about um, Christian schools because from what we're hearing, DEI is even coming into some Christian schools yeah. And do you ever work with teachers who are in Christian school contexts, or is this? Um, are you guys exclusively for public school? Exclusively is too strong of a word, but okay. certainly predominantly uh, okay. public schools. Uh, we we do offer. We have several private school teachers who are members of ours, uh, but we don't typically work in that space in terms of providing resources for them just because there's so many other ways that they can get that. Um, Very good. You know, ACSI, for example, is an organization that supports uh, Christian teachers in private schools. Um, so yeah, so no, we typically focus on public schools in terms of our resource development and ministry focus. All right. There's a comment, I think on Facebook, yeah, Monique wants to go to Michael. We're going to get it up here on the screen. There we go says, from what I've seen, CRT isn't being explicitly taught as a framework, but its principles and tenets are being applied. It is therefore being infused, but people don't know because they aren't necessarily familiar with CRT-specific language. For example, um, interact, I think it's, in, it's interest convergence. 
isn't taught in my district, but the idea of it has been infused in our DEI professional training and interest convergence. I'll, let me explain that really quick. Interest convergence is the, the one, is a tenet of critical race theory. And it is the idea that racism, um, white to black will only end or white to people of color will only end when it is in the best interest interest of the white majority group. And so we will see racism until it is, you know, until the interests converge. So it is to my benefit, but it's also to the benefit of the white majority culture to end racism. I think this is a, a great um, comment and I would love to hear your thoughts on it. What um, I think it's important because one of the things that Chris tends to say is that for people who are like 30 and under, the ideas or tenets of critical race theory have been kind of what they're swimming in. It's along with this idea of postmodernism, critical race theory that came in at the end of the 80s. And so a lot of these tenets have just been part of their upbringing. Thoughts about race, like... I know I just grew up with thoughts about um, about white people specifically that I didn't realize were part of critical race theory. It was just part of the culture, part of the common conversation and language. And so I think um, what Von Michael is saying is really important. It's like they aren't necessarily familiar with the CRT language, but it's just part of the common vernacular. Well, now, it's also, or the- I think, part of the education, like, of teaching teachers, mm-hmm. you know, because what they call it other things, cultural competency, and mm-hmm. they have other terms for it that often sound nice. But what you don't realize is the framework of critical theory that is lying underneath it. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think to, to Vaughn's point, it's that or I don't mind maybe my point that I'm implanting on Vaughn's point um, is that it's been around for a while and people have kind of just grown up with this thought process or the teachers that have been um, sent into the workforce have been educated this to this specific bend. I would I say, know. I don't know. I'm wondering, like, is that what you're seeing, too, is that when teachers go through their programs and their academic programs, that this is just built into that. And, you know, it's become more and more that way in the last maybe five to 10 years. Oh, absolutely. I don't know that at least in most states, you could get through a teacher credentialing program anymore without um, some kind of, you know, uh, you know, diversity class, essentially, right? And, and you know, again, all that's not bad if it's on the basis of, hey, understanding different people, different backgrounds, what, where they come from, what their experiences are, you know, all that's good and well. But um, what we're seeing so much, it's funny that in the 80s and 90s, we were, we were, we were so focused on stereotypes, right? And let's, let's kill the stereotypes and let's treat people as, as they don't have to be stereotyped by their, you know, sex or their race or their religion or whatever it may be. And now we're seeing with both the transgender issue and CRT, it's built on stereotypes, right? It, it, it stereotypes everyone in the groups and says, oh, if you're part of this group, then you're this way. And, or you and think you this it, way or you have right? these assumptions. And yeah. And if you deny it, that's just evidence that you really are that way, right? right. There's, no, there's no arguing with their logic. Um, and so uh, it, just, it just cracks me up in a tragic way uh, that now everything's all about stereotypes, but they won't, they won't use that language, of course. But I think it, that's one way we can push back against this kind of thinking to say, oh, so you're stereotyping me. Oh, you're, you know, you're stereotyping them. Oh, you're, you know, <laughs> we can kind of respond to some of these trainings in that way. I think we might see some some pushback. And, and I'd also say, um, you know, we, we've advised some of our principal or some of our teachers to go to their principals and saying, hey, 
I'm, I'm concerned some of this material that is in these DEI trainings might open you up to a, a, a lawsuit, a discrimination lawsuit for creating a hostile work environment. Uh, just a little heads up. I, I'd, I wouldn't want you to, to, to go through that and get, you know, get sued and kind of, you know, be an ally, if you will, of the school board and the principal and say, I, I think this might open you guys up to lawsuits and you might want to think about that. Um, and, uh, and, and based on the sort of the stereotyping idea and creating hostile work environment. So I think there are these, these sort of subtle ways and not so subtle ways of attacking this stuff, but we don't have to sit there and take it and stand for it. So very good. All right. Well, I just want to highlight Von Michael because he, he put up there and said, I, I feel honored that Monique stole my point and projected hers. <laughs> Why are you coming for me, fam? Why? Why we got to be like that? <laughs> Sorry about that. All right. Well, as we wrap things up, David, maybe you can tell us about your upcoming conference. And yes. I also want to mention for anyone watching, we have a private Facebook group for uh, people, Christians who are working in Christian higher ed, Christian uh, or Christian education or in public education. And if you're being impacted by DEI trainings and critical race theory, you can go get support in our group. We had a, at a webinar a couple months ago with David, he came and gave some great information. Hopefully we can get him back again and do another webinar for our group, but go join our Facebook group. You can just go to our center for biblical unity Facebook page and click on groups yep. and see that there are one of our moderators. Lauren is on the stream tonight and um, watching this. So Maybe David. Oh, we love Lauren. Yeah. Yes. So David, maybe talk to us about your upcoming conference and how that's a resource for for uh, our teachers. Sure, be happy to. Yeah, if you go to riseupchristianeducators.com, that's riseupchristianeducators.com. Uh, you learn all about it there. Uh, we are very excited this year to be welcoming not only Monique, of course, a very very important guest of our conference, but we're also welp- welcoming Francis Chan as our uh, keynote speaker on Friday night, which is October twenty second. And then we also have Alistair Begg and Greg Kokel of Stand to Reason uh, and many others, uh, Sally Burke of, of Moms in Prayer, many other presenters joining us. Right, this is our third year of doing Rise Up. Uh, and this is uh, for both public and private school teachers, Christian teachers. Uh, and it's designed to uh, help you rise up out of, out of fear into faith, uh, equip you, uh, challenge your mindset, uh, give you new methods. Uh, to to uh, to teach biblically, to teach from a biblical worldview, uh, whether you're in public or private school, and uh, we've seen tremendous response. Uh, again, our third year doing this, uh, thousands of teachers have have uh, come together, and the best part is, Rise Up is completely free. Uh, so it runs five days from October 21st to 26th. The live sessions are the Friday night and Saturday, the 22nd, 23rd, and then there are the on-demand sessions are all through that time. Uh, it only costs if you if you want to get the all access pass, which means after the five days you want continued access to the content. Uh, you buy a very inexpensive all access pass, and, um, and it's a little cheaper if you buy it when you sign up than it would be later. But uh, we are very excited about Rise Up, and so yeah, go to ChristianEducatorsRiseUp.com and um, and check that out. And all, all that, and as you scroll there. Uh, I want to point out there's lots of opportunities for interaction. It's not just a talking head kind of thing. Uh, uh, mo- many of the live sessions are followed by Q&A sessions. We have an idea swap on Friday night, which is kind of like EdCamp, if teachers are familiar with that idea, where we're going to have different topics that people can kind of come, and there's no set speaker. There's just kind of oh, a way got to Greg inter- mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, Greg Kokel. Very good. Yeah. And then, um, and then and there's also going to be a prayer room for teachers that want to get in there and get personalized prayer. And so uh, we really encourage you to join us for Rise Up. Awesome. 
Um, oh, our another one of our moderators for our teacher group says, please make sure that if you're joining the teacher group, you actually answer the questions. We want to maintain the integrity of the group and also confidentiality. And so by answering the questions before you click, you know, hey, let me in um, actually helps us to do that. If you don't answer the questions and you just say, hey, let me in. We're not letting you in. We're just going to no, be honest. We're not, gonna we're not letting you in. <laughs> Sorry. Got to answer those questions. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, David. We really appreciate you coming on the show and, and talking to us. This has been a great conversation. I think you've really encouraged a lot of people through this discussion. Yes, it's been well, thank you so super much helpful. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bye. All right. That was great. That was. That was super helpful. Yeah, it was good. I feel so much better. Oh, that's good. I feel so encouraged. I feel like I have a strategy now. Okay. Of how I can... Help people that Look are in. You. I know. I feel so. I was feeling so hopeless about this. Oh man. So. See things. You. Things I find out on the air. Go ahead. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't necessarily aware, but all right. All right. Um, I want to talk for a minute about book clubs. Let's do it. Yes. So we're having three book clubs. Okay. And they're starting very soon, so we want to let people know about them. But I want to give them. You know, kind of explain what we're up to here. Like, first, we've got the African-American Guide to the Bible. Now, if any of you remember our show from June about slavery and what does the Bible have to say about slavery with Dr. Felder, mm -hmm. that was a very popular show. Well, guess what? He is actually going to be leading this book group. Yes. He's the author of the book. Yeah. And he's going to actually lead the book group. You know, there's a, quite a few objections that many African-Americans put forth regarding Christianity. Yeah. Um, believing, like, is it a white man's religion? Um, you know, what is the, the real about things like the slave Bible? How was Christianity weaponized to maintain or uphold slavery? You know, there, there's a lot of questions. Where are black people in the Bible? Yeah. Um, and so this book really answers those questions. It gets down to the root of it all. And, you know, Dr. Felter, I, I feel like he doesn't, you know, just he, he's not very reserved. He's like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and let you know. Let's go ahead and put this out there. So if people have African-Americans in their friend group, in their family, if you have interracial children, or maybe you're teaching in a, a context where you have kids that are coming from this ethnic background or maybe you just want to empower yourself wanna, for it yeah. and, and know i think it's important to know even if even if none of those things are true like in your current you know context it's important just to know what other brothers and sisters in christ have experienced or and might what be they're struggling with. yeah or, and what they might be struggling with it's really important to know how to you know one rally around the body but then two to understand what are some of the other things that are happening in the body that might be outside of your you know, your necessary circle. Yeah. And being ready to give an answer for the hope that yes. is in us and, and, and that sort of a thing. So if we really want to be equipped to share our faith, this is an amazing and unique opportunity with Dr. Felder. Now we're also doing a virtual small group on your curriculum. Reconciled. Reconciled. So people can do that. So I want to let people know, you know, maybe you've been thinking, I'd really love to do a small group. on to lead a small group. Lead, lead mm -hmm. a small group but I feel nervous. This is a great way to work through your nervousness and get past those obstacles by going through it first with someone else and with another group. 
Um, so I want to encourage you. That would be a wonderful opportunity. Go sign up for the virtual small group on Reconciled. Or if you're thinking, I'd love to go through Reconciled, but I don't have any like-minded people in my life who want to have sign this up. conversation. Mm-hmm. Sign up. If you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling like, I, I don't know anybody who even wants to talk. Make a friend. Sign up. <laughs> yeah, sign up. I think, um, well, not I think. This group is going to be led by Arnold Huntley. He is a director at the Colson Center, one of the chapter directors for the Colson Center. And just very like-minded, um, has such a, a good approach to, to conversations. And I think that this will be an awesome opportunity for people to dig into the Reconcile curriculum. Yeah, in a very safe way and, you know, just to ask questions and really walk through the content with some other people. Now, our third group is going to be Thaddeus Williams' book, Where Your Story is Featured. And My Arms Are on the Cover. And Your Arms Are on the Cover. You never miss an opportunity. I never do. Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. We ran the book group for that. At the first of the year, mm-hmm. sold out. So this is an opportunity. This is a great book to read through and recommend to, to friends who are kind of on the bubble of the social mm-hmm. justice conversation. If you want to get really equipped in how to talk to those people, kind of bring them, rope them back into historic Christianity, this is a great book to do that. Yeah, I think Thaddeus just really breaks down the distinction between what he calls social justice A and social justice B, what I would say biblical justice versus social justice. He breaks that down very well and then allows us to to read into, you know, hey, how do I do biblical justice? How do I do this? His What he would say social justice A without losing the truth of scripture. And so, yes, we want to, we, we have a, a call in scripture to do justice. It's not a suggestion. And so how do we do justice and, you know, stand for the truth of scripture? Confronting Injustice is the book for that job. It's led by my cousin, Edwin Ramirez. We love Edwin. We were on Edwin's podcast earlier this week. That was uh, this week. Yeah, it was all the way back on Monday or Tuesday or something. Yeah. I don't know what day it was. But yeah, so go to centerforbiblicalunity.com slash book clubs and register there. You can find out all the information, all the dates, the leaders, so go join Edwin's group, Arnold Huntley, or Dr. Harold Felder. Yes, yes, Who's yes. also on our Academic Advisory Council. Yes, he is. So Lauren says on YouTube, totally agree. Going through Reconciled right now, she's in our current yes. virtual small group for Reconciled, praying about who to go through it again with, maybe other Christian educators at my school as a way to get grounded in scripture. I love that vision. So there is a lot of opportunity that we provide family, you know, to 
help you feel connected and to to be educated yes. like we can't as christians have this and i'm not saying you do but there are some of us who you know get caught off guard oh i was caught off guard by that oh i didn't realize i didn't see that coming oh that completely caught me off guard y'all we can't keep getting caught off guard we need to understand what's happening and how to have these conversations from an educated perspective um you know i think this is one of the the first times where we're not doing a first source book in critical race theory or one of the social theories but don't be surprised people because we will come with the first sources as well we might get some james cone in there because we don't want you to be caught off guard we want you to be educated and equipped to have these conversations intelligently to be able to defend the faith once for all given to the saints you're a pastor small group leader this is vital training and uh, for you, uh, it's just a wonderful opportunity to get together with like-minded Christians in a safe environment and be able to discuss these issues. I think that's important, too. Safe. Like, we're not having all that, like, you're not coming at me no kind of crazy way and you don't get to come at nobody else crazy. Like, no, we we really seek to live out Ephesians 4 and how do we live with one another? We're doing it in the context of a book group and still exercising the the gifts of the Spirit or in the fruits of the Spirit um, and Ephesians 4 all the way through. Very good. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for watching. Please share the show with a friend. Share it. Yes, please share with an educator who maybe needs some encouragement. Um, Share this resource with your pastor and encourage them of how they can encourage the Christians working in public ed uh, in their congregations. So thank you so much for watching and good night and God bless. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.